Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is the UK Money Podcast. I'm a financial planner and this is the UK Money Podcast, so I'm sure you can guess what I talk about on this show. Um, Everything to do with money. Um, We talk about investments, we talk about retirement planning, we talk about basically anything that helps you earn more, invest smarter, or live the life you want to live. That is the topic of the podcast overall. And the topic of the show today is going to be uh, quite a concise one. I've got one really big point that I want to get across. uh, And that's because it's a question that I get all the time from people that are are listening to the podcast, watching the YouTube channel, um, even on Instagram and Twitter. Basically, anytime I release a bit of content, this is often the question that comes off the back of it. So um, that question is basically... Where should I invest my money? What platform should I use? Or variations of that of that theme. So, you know, should I use Trading212? Should I use AJ Bell? Should I use Vanguard? It's a really, really common question, and it's understandable that it's a really common question. But today, I want to talk through exactly uh, why it's not really the most important question that you should be asking. So before we get into the details of that topic, uh, I just want to say a really big thank you for everybody who's listening to the show. Um, the, the listener numbers are, are increasing uh, week on week. Uh, I've obviously, I've got back into more of a, a regular schedule with releasing these episodes. So I am still um, trying to get them out every week and uh, with consistency, obviously, is, is getting more people interested in watching it and seeing it on the on the charts and the top 50 and that sort of thing on Apple. So um, really appreciate all your support. One thing I have noticed is that uh, there's a really high proportion of my listeners that are male we don't have as many uh, as many of the fairer sex uh, listening to the show so if you've got a sister or a mum or uh, a mate uh, who is a female who you think would benefit from this if they're starting to look at improving their finances and making better decisions around investments and that sort of thing then please share this with them you know it's uh, it's it's an area that everyone can benefit from getting better with their money, getting more control over their finances and investments. Um, so please don't be shy to uh, to share the podcast around. Now, I have mentioned on some of the previous episodes, episodes just gone, that I've, I've started to line up some guests for the show, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, but I have had an idea that is either the greatest idea I've ever had or it's absolute shit and I'm not 100% sure yet um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I wanted to throw this out there get get the uh, get the listeners opinion and see if anyone would be interested now my idea is getting guests on the show but generally when you get a, a podcast podcast guest it's somebody else who's got a podcast or somebody else who's got a YouTube channel or some sort of profile or works in a job that's kind of related to what the podcast is obviously um, to provide some value back to from their knowledge that maybe has some gaps from my knowledge um, to help you guys kind of get a more broad a broad, broad uh, spectrum of, of financial information but my idea here is to actually get a guest on who has nothing to do with the personal finance world. So what I'm thinking is I call out to you guys, would you like to be on the podcast? Now, I've obviously done listener questions before. I'm always trying to get you guys to leave voice messages which have dried up. I'm getting emails, I'm getting um, I'm getting uh, DMs on social media, but I'm not getting those voice messages which um, uh, I'd love to see that start to pick up again. But what I'm talking about here is actually getting somebody on the show. We'll do an interview. Um, as if you were my client as a financial planner. So we would walk through um, your financial situation. We would walk through the kind of questions you've got. 
We would obviously keep things very vague. Um, we wouldn't have to talk about figures or anything like that. Um, we wouldn't obviously release your details, your name or anything like that. I could probably even um, disguise your voice somehow if you're really worried about privacy. But the idea would be that for you, if you decided that you wanted to come on, you could get a, a bit of a taste of what the financial planning process is. It'll be a shortened one because normally my meetings go for you know, hour, hour and a half, but obviously in the podcast, we kind of kind of keep it under 45 minutes. So it'd be like a condensed version, but you would get some of your questions answered directly. You could obviously answer, uh, ask some follow-up questions. We could really have a, a proper conversation where we talk through your main concerns for your finances. And obviously for, for everybody else, that would be a really good insight into one, how a financial planner works, what the, the kind of conversations look like, um, and also you know, just the answers to those questions. Because as as I always say with those voice messages and stuff, that the questions that you have are almost certain to be questions that other people have as well. So if, if that sounds like something that you would be keen to do, then get in touch with me, um, you know, any which way. Um, the I've, I've recently just launched a website for the UK Money Podcast. So you can find that in the show notes. It's It's not hard, it's the UKMoneyPodcast.com. Um, you can jump on there, contact me via via that if that's the easiest way or obviously you, you can um, always get in touch with me via social or, or the voice message route as well. So if, that's, if, if that idea completely sucks, also feel free to let me know because at the moment I'm not even sure whether it's a, a winner or not. So with all that said, um, the as I mentioned before, the, 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 the lost for words here, the topic for today's podcast is basically which platform should you pick? Which investment broker should you pick? Where should you invest your money? And this is a really common question that I get off the back of of pretty much anything that talks about investments. So, you know, for example, um, last week, the podcast episode was around alternative investments. I got a couple of questions of, you know, where should I look to invest into these these sorts of investments? Same thing with the ethical investing. Same thing when I've talked about lifetime ices and junior ices and things like that in the past. The questions invariably are, which company should I choose to go with? And to put it really, really bluntly, it doesn't really matter. And the reason it doesn't matter is because, um, you know, let's let's think of an analogy, right? So imagine where where I'm not a big golfer, I'm not a golfer at all, but you know, imagine where we're talking about golf. If we're talking about some of the top players, Tiger Woods, I know he's he's not not in the game so much anymore, but Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, whoever. We're talking about these professional golfers. What gets has got them to be where they are? What has got them to be the absolute pinnacle of their sport is the level of work that they've put in and their natural talent. You know, basically, there's going to be different combinations of that for different athletes. Some have more natural talent and therefore haven't had to work as hard. Some have um, had less natural talent and therefore have had to work harder to get there. But effectively, it's some combination of those two um, that have allowed them to become the top of their game. And that's really the same for any sport. The thing is, is that when you're, when golfers are looking to get better at golf, often the thing that they focus on is their clubs. You know, should I get a different driver? Should I get a more expensive putter? Should I get a um, set of irons that has a couple of angles different throughout throughout each each iron? And again, this is very similar for many sports. You know, whether it's whether it's fishing, whether it's motorsport, whether it's football, um, videography, any hobby. Often, the first thing that we as humans are drawn to is gear. And that by getting better gear, 
it will make us better at that thing. Now, when it comes to investment, I believe that the platform is the gear. So when you are looking at what is going to make you successful as an investor, right? Gear is something or the platform is something that will make a difference. You know, if Tiger Woods plays with his favorite clubs, nightclubs, I think I think he's sponsored by Nike, his favorite Nike clubs, he will probably play a bit better than if he went to the local um, local range and was given some demo set of Callaways or Spaldings or something something else that he's not used to playing with. It will probably make a bit of a difference to his performance. It's not going to mean difference between winning the Masters and not even becoming a professional golfer. We're talking about stuff on the margins when we're talking about the gear. And for me... Investment platforms are exactly the same. There are differences between them. Some of them charge more fees. Some of them have better, um, slightly better investment options or more investment options. Um, some of them have better customer support, all that sort of stuff. There are differences. It can be important, but it's we're talking about um, we're talking about differences that are on the margins. And n- no one can be blamed for this, right? You know, there's a lot of. Um, that's where all the money is spent in trying to make us make decisions around our investments. You know, companies like Trading212, like Moneybox, like Vanguard, like AJ Bell, they're not spending money to teach us about good investment behaviors. Yeah, they might have some articles on their website, they might have podcasts, talks about this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, their marketing spend is designed to pummel you with messages of why Vanguard is better than Nutmeg or why Trading212 is better than um, Revolut or whatever. You know, we are constantly being told that 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 is the important thing that make a difference between you being a successful investor or not. And this is the same problem with YouTube. You know, if you go on YouTube and you go to pretty much any um, financial YouTuber, most of whom aren't financial planners, they're just random people who have an interest in personal finance, if you actually look through their history, their videos, there'll be a few in there that like, what is an ISA? What is a junior ISA? That sort of stuff. But generally speaking, a huge proportion of their videos are trading 212 review, um, free trade review, um, Vanguard review, etc., etc., etc. Vanguard versus AJ Bell, AJ Bell versus Inter- Interactive Investors, Revolut versus trading 212. And really, the reason why that is, is because number one, that's that it does drive clicks because as I said, that's where the marketing dollars are trying to get us to send our interest. But number two, normally they will get a referral commission. So if I'm doing a video that says trading 212 versus Moneybox, there will be links in my video. You get a free share. I get a free share. For example, with trading 212, if you click this link and sign up. So there is an incentive for those YouTubers to do lots of content around what is the best product there is lots of money going into um, to marketing f- for financial services to to put the focus on the product because that is that is how all the money flows from you to these financial institutions and like i say i'm not saying that it's completely unimportant it will make a difference if you're paying 1% in fees on one account and you're paying half a percent in fees on the other account that will make a difference to the amount of money you have in 10 20 30 40 years and I don't want to get flamed in the future if I decide to do a YouTube video that compares some platforms because it is the part, it is a part of a financial plan or an investment strategy that you should consider. But in my opinion, it's the last part that you should consider. So I've told you why 
that's the wrong way to go about it. I've told you why I don't like that, but what, what is the solution in my opinion? Well, we said before that if you're a golfer and you're wanting to get uh, wanting to be the best golfer on the planet, it's going to be a combination of uh, natural talent and hard work. And in my opinion, the, the, uh, the comparables from an investment perspective are asset allocation and managing your behavior. Now, I'm not talking about making sure you, you don't say fuck too often when I say managing behavior. I mean managing your investing behavior and making sure you don't make silly investment decisions. So let's talk through these, these two. So let, we'll start with that one. And this is one of the biggest drivers is going to be, I would say, the biggest driver, eh, not the biggest driver, equal with asset allocation, but it is going to be one of the biggest drivers in how much of a return you end up with over your long-term investment. And that is because the, the missing some of the, 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 one of the worst things you can do, and you know, most people who even have a passing uh, kind of um, interest or understanding of investments will get this in, in, in principle, is that if you panic and sell when markets are crashing, it's basically the worst possible thing you can do because you've, you've, you would have taken a big hit on the way down and then you're going to be looking for somewhere to get in on the way back up. And the likelihood is well, there's a very high chance that you actually will completely miss the bottom, it will recover, and you won't actually get in anywhere near the price that you, you sold at. You're taking transaction charges all the way through that, and you're going to end up in this, this endless loop of, of selling when things are going down and then buying back in when things are going up, which is obviously the opposite of what you should. And there's been lots of studies over the past um, past few years that look at how this potentially impacts returns. Um, one that I found today was from JP Morgan. So JP Morgan looked at um, someone, a hypothetical investor who had invested $10,000 into the S&P 500 in America on the 4th of January 1999 and invested through to December 31st, 2018. And it basically looked at what would the return have been if they were fully invested and then if they missed the best days of performance over that over that period. So what I mean by that is, let's say they invested their £10,000 in 1999, they didn't touch it. They left it invested through the ups, through the downs, through the flats, everything. The dollar value of their £10,000 um, in 2018 would be uh, would have been £29,845. So that's an annualised performance of 5.62%. Now, that investor has managed their behavior very, very well because they've not sold during some pretty big crashes. There's the dot-com crash in early 2000s. There's the 2008 global financial crisis. There's a couple of pretty um, hairy things along the way uh, prior to that, 9-11, that sort of thing. Lots of stuff has gone wrong. Lots of opportunities for that investor to panic, and they didn't. And they're rewarded uh, with not a not incredible performance, let's be honest, 5.62 for 100% equity portfolio. That's not anything to write home about. But their money, their money has tripled over that time. It's worth just under 30K. Now, if that same investor had missed the 10 best days on investment markets, so they've, they've remained invested for, for the vast majority of the time, we're talking 10 days over basically a 20-year period, that return or the, the lump sum at the end, drops to $14,895 and an annualized return of 2.01%. So that investor potentially sold um, quite near the bottom when they were just thought, you know, the headlines would have been screaming that the world was over, the markets were never going to recover, um, billions and trillions wiped off the stock market, like, we, like we've like we all seen before in the news. And 
not managing that behavior means they sold when they shouldn't. Maybe they weren't even out, or they obviously weren't even out the market for that long. Things started to turn and they thought, shit, I've got to get back in. Bought back in, they've missed a couple of days of recovery. Do that a few times, your return is significantly, significantly impacted. And the more you do that, the more days out of the market, obviously the worse that it gets. You missed the 20 best days. You've actually lost money over the period. So your, your end balance is £9,359. All the way down to if you missed the best 60 days, your balance, you've actually got an annualized return of negative 7.41% and your end value is $2,144. So managing behavior for me is the really one of the really, really important things, the really important um, signpost that's going to, um, going to ascertain what sort of investment returns you're going to get over the long term. And it's also one of the reasons why the vast majority of retail investors underperform the index. It's not nothing to do with stock picking. It's nothing to do with asset allocation. It's nothing to do with the fund managers that they pick. It's that in, uh, retail investors sell when they shouldn't um, and and buy when they shouldn't. And that that is a not a uh, I'm not making a disparaging um, comment there when I say retail investors. I find this really difficult for myself. You know, I when I'm managing clients' money, no problems. Market crashing, I'll have a conversation with a client, be 100% confident that the best thing to do is to stay invested. For myself, I've got an itchy trigger finger. Now, obviously, I understand everything behind it, so most of the time, I am able to to hold that impulse, but it's still a very strong impulse. You feel like when things are going uh, going bad when you th- you feel like when there's there's blood on the streets and you're seeing so much negativity that you need to do something, but actually the vast majority of the time the best option is to stick to your long term plan and do nothing. Now obviously there is some nuance to that. It does depend on your investment time frame. If you've got a um, if you've got a long enough investment time frame, then that is definitely the case. But obviously if you're saving for something short term, maybe you've overdone the asset allocation. Maybe your initial choice of investments wasn't necessarily right for you. Then potentially you are going to be in a situation where you need to cut your losses and just secure secure the bag, as they say. But it, like I say, if, if you're investing properly, if you're investing for a long term, you know staying invested and sticking to that long-term plan is really, really important. So that's one half. So we've, we, we, the, the, um, the managing behavior, we'll call that the hard work component of our, of our professional athlete analogy. So now we need to look at the natural talent part of that, which in investment terms, I'm, I'm, I'm calling asset allocation. And asset allocation is, a, is just a, um, a, a fancy way of saying how much money you've got in equities or shares. Because basically that is, a, that is the, gonna be the main driver of your volatility and your long-term returns. The more you've got in equities, generally the higher your returns are gonna be. And the longer you invest for, the more true that that is going to be. Now, there's obviously a lot to take into account with asset allocation. There's your capacity for loss, your how comfortable you are with risk, um, your time frame, your your uh, your how much return you need to meet your objectives. All those sorts of things. There's lots to take into account, but that is going to be the biggest driver um, again. Well, one of the biggest drivers again of your return. So. The reason why that is so important, and it's more important than than the underlying holdings you pick or the platform you pick, is if you think about how stock markets move, they, again, especially over the long term, they very rarely move company to company, but they do move sector to sector. So what I mean by that is, let's say there is a 
well, we've gone through a really good example just recently, right? When, uh, last year, when coronavirus was was r- ripping through the world and we're all locked down and all that nonsense, um, the FANG stocks, as they call them in America, Facebook, um, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, uh, and Google, tech stocks, absolutely killed it. They had... Uh, they're all seeing all-time highs. They're performing incredibly well. Uh, and other companies as well, like Disney and Spotify and tech companies. Tech companies where we they're not location-dependent. People are using all that stuff more because we're all at home more. Um, there, there was um, less competition from the real world. And all those companies did very, very well because they all cater to a very... Um, very similar need. It's all streaming. It's all basically online streaming entertainment, different forms of it, but that's effectively what they all do. They provide entertainment straight to our TVs or straight to our phones that we can watch at home or anywhere or listen to. And because of that, it doesn't, if you're looking at the sector as a whole, because the whole sector performed well, the main driver of your return over that period isn't necessarily going to be whether you picked Facebook, Spotify, Netflix, or whether you picked Google, Amazon, and Apple. It's going to be whether you had money in that sector at all. So if you compare that to the, if you had money in the travel sector, you could have had the best performing um, share in the travel sector and the worst performing share in that that little group I've just uh, talked about there. And I don't know what the best performing share in the travel sector was, but I can almost guarantee that it wouldn't have performed well as those FANG stocks and Disney Plus and that sort of thing. So that is the same if you're talking about equities as a whole as well. So if you're talking about um, geographic, geographically, you know, different countries, um, how much you have allocated to the market is going to be much more important over the long run than how much you have allocated to individual companies. Again, another example would be shopping um, supermarket chains. So I, I like to use them because they're quite um, they're quite homogenous. Yes, there is a difference between Waitrose and Tesco and Aldi, but effectively they all do pretty much the same thing. At certain points over the short term, Sainsbury's share price is going to outperform Waitrose. Um, well, it's John Lewis, but Sainsbury's share price is going to outperform Tesco's. Sometimes it will be the opposite way around. Over the long term, however, those shares are going to, generally speaking, move in the same direction. Either supermarkets are doing well or supermarkets are not doing well. The fact that you have exposure to supermarkets is going to be a much bigger driver than whether you've got Tesco or whether you've got Sainsbury's in your portfolio. So practical, some practical tips from this from this side of things. So number one thing, to, if you're looking at either starting an investment portfolio or reviewing your own investment portfolio, number one thing is get the asset allocation right. Understand what level of risk you're comfortable with. Understand what level of risk you need to take to meet your objectives. Objectives. Understand what your capacity for loss is. Understand all that stuff and go into a portfolio with your eyes open and understanding what you're getting yourself in for. If you're going to go 100% equity, that's fine if you've got long enough and you're comfortable with fluctuations, but be prepared to wake up one day and it's down 40%. If you're cool with that, there's absolutely no problem with investing with an asset allocation like that. If you're not comfortable with that, you know that's fine as well. Adjust. Maybe 60% is better for you, 40% equities, whatever. But that is going to be the number one driver of your returns if your behavior is right, which leads us on to number two. And the second thing is once you have that long-term plan, as long as there's no drastic changes to your circumstances or your objectives, that long-term plan should stay the same and you need to stick to it. And effectively, those two are going to be the two things that are going to be the, the 
um, main driver of what your portfolio looks like in 10 or 20 years. Now, the platform will make a difference. If you invested in exactly the same thing with exactly the same asset allocation, your, your behavior was exactly the same, and you chose one, port, one, um, one investment platform that charged 1% and another uh, provider that charged half a percent, you will have a, a, a bigger portfolio with the one that charged a lower fees. That's obvious. But don't let the tail wag the dog. You know, that is the last thing you should be picking rather than deciding on a provider and then trying to fit your your strategy and your asset allocation via that provider. And actually, really, other than fees for me, the, the biggest thing about um, having the uh, in picking a provider is one that will help you manage your behaviors. So I think one of the biggest differences between portfolios, uh, b- between platform providers um, or investment providers, is the the user interface, the reporting, the customer service. So the the um, you basically need to pick one that allows you to feel comfortable with things, feel comfortable with the information you're getting, um, feel comfortable in adding further money, feel comfortable that you can monitor the things in the right way, and therefore you you won't necessarily feel like you need to be making so many changes. Having said that, maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you want a company that's a bit more old school that's actually quite difficult to make changes. You don't want to be sitting on your phone at 2 a.m. and trying to trade Apple shares for Disney shares. Um So for me, that's really going to come down to personal preference and it is important, but it's definitely not the first thing that you should be thinking about. And realistically, if you are going around in circles, if you decided you want to invest in an ISA, but you just don't know which one and you've watched 100 YouTube videos and you've read all the articles and you've looked at all the fees, just pick one. Um, At the end of the day, if you're picking a provider that is a big mainstream company that is on the first page of Google, you can't go too far wrong. You know, you're not going to find a company like AJ Bell or Vanguard or Trading 212 or Moneybox or anyone charging like 5% ongoing fee. You know, they are all going to be competitive. They are all going to have good um, good investment options because you have to remember that the personal, the, the finance and the money sector is probably one of the most competitive sectors in the world. So if if companies are out there offering a product that just doesn't stack up, they're not going to be around for very long. So obviously do your own due diligence. Again, stick to the um, stick to the biggest providers um, and you really, you can't go too far wrong. And again, the, the, the best thing that you can do is pick one and start rather than worrying about it for six, 12 months and putting it off and putting it off because you're just not sure where you should put your money. So thank you very much for listening to the podcast today, guys. I really appreciate you tuning in. Um, As I said, if you are keen to come on as a guest, if you would like to have a free initial financial uh, meeting with a financial planner, kind of a meeting, you know, condensed meeting, um, please get in touch with me. I would love to have you on. Um, We can talk about the specifics of what you're comfortable sharing and what you're not comfortable sharing. I'm very flexible with that, but I think potentially it could add a lot of value. Um, As always, do check out the links in the show notes. Um, The YouTube channel is constantly getting updated with new videos and new content on there. And also check out the new website. I'd be keen to know what your thoughts are. Um, and uh, anything else you want to anything else you want to chat about any other questions you might have please do get in touch thanks very much for listening again guys and I look forward to chatting to you next week